Welcome to Is It Halloween Yet? Episode 24, a spooky little podcast where we talk about all things horror and ask, is it Halloween yet? I'm afraid not ghouls, ghosts, and goblins. It's 181 days until Halloween. I'm your ghostess, Spencer. Let's see what we have on the slab this week. We've got some tasty horror news, and then we'll talk about Choose or Die, Netflix's newest horror flick. However, we have to start out with some unhappy conversation. Uh, the ghostess lives in the United States, and so that means yesterday, while I was prepping this podcast for today, it came out that the Supreme Court is going to eventually overturn Roe versus Wade this year, which is a bummer. And it sucks, but as someone who has been pretty laser focused on keeping up with abortion activists and what's going on around uh, reproductive health, it felt inevitable. So I would like to point all Is It Halloween listeners to the Northwest Abortion Access Fund. There will be a link in the show notes. There will be a link in my Twitter. You will be able to do donations, hopefully on Friday when I'm streaming horror games this week. But the Northwest Abortion Access Fund needs your help. Oregon is already overflowed with people coming in to the state from other states that have passed astringent abortion bans. Our neighbor Idaho did this earlier this year. Texas has famously done this. So now people are looking for places they have to travel. So the states that have clinics... The spaces are filling up. People need to be able to pay to get to the procedure or for to pay for a place to stay while they're having the procedure because abortion is a bunch of different procedures. Some of them are very easy, like you get a pill, they watch you for a bit, you go home. Some of them you have to go in, stay overnight, come back the next day. It's all healthcare. It's all nobody's business but the person who's seeking the abortion and the doctor. I just can't be quiet and I can't make this podcast and not have a place where I can direct you to help people who are going to need help when this inevitably comes down in the next couple weeks. Let's get into video game news. Bloodhound is a first-person shooter developed by Kruger and Flint. It is targeted for Xbox and Steam in 2022, though a PS5 release is headed our way in 2023. It looks like a throwback to 90s shooters. The developers Krug and Flint are saying there's about 15 types of enemies and a boss fight for each act. And eventually there will be a multiplayer component to it. So it looks exciting. Speaking of that live stream I was talking about a few minutes ago, this next game will be one of the games I'm playing this week. Ravenous Devils is a cooking sim inspired by Sweeney Todd. You play as a husband and wife team who own a tailor and an eatery. Developed by Bad Vice Games, the game is out now on Epic, Nintendo Switch, Xbox, and PlayStation. I am very excited to get into it. Um, someone said it was very bloody and gory and the, the kills in it are akin to... Mortal Kombat fatalities, and I'm down. I'm here for it. I am so there, ready to do it. So you can see me stumble my way through the first blind playthrough this Friday at 5 p.m. on my Twitch channel. There'll be a link in the show notes. And like always, Twitter, Instagram, there'll always be a way to find out where I'm streaming, what time, 
we're at. Next up, Resident Evil 4 VR is finally getting mercenary mode. Capcom's been teasing this since last November, and we finally got some details that there will be 20 virtual challenges headed to the beloved games VR edition. House of the Dead remake is out on more platforms now. It's out on Xbox, PlayStation, PC via Steam, Google Stadia, and it was already released on Nintendo Switch. I haven't had a chance to dig into this. I love House of the Dead. I think every kid who grew up in the era of arcades loves House of the Dead, but I should probably check that out. Maybe I'll do that later tonight. In, in a game I didn't think we'd be talking about on this show because I really don't like Call of Duty zombies and I don't like Call of Duty, period. <laughs> Operation Monarch is coming to Call of Duty Warzone. It's bringing Kong and Godzilla to Warzone. I may have to download Warzone. We all know how much I love Kong and, and Godzilla. It might be the thing that gets me to download it. I, I haven't really been interested in Call of Duty Battle Royale, but if I get to fight Kong and Godzilla, I mean, that's kind of fun. You might, I might have to do it. Our next game is a action platformer that's a little bit like Prince of Persia called Ratsu. I don't have a whole lot of uh, information other than this, except for that it's a game about a prison where experimentation has created rat-human hybrid monsters and you have to escape. And apparently it's very gory. The more I find out about it, I will let you know. This definitely sounds like a game we could play on Friday Night Frights. We're getting another... PT-inspired game, No Resort, has been announced and is heading to Steam this year. It is inspired by Asian folklore. The puzzles will take place in the form of rituals that you must do to aggrieve spirits. So that sounds pretty cool. It definitely looks very PT. And I can't believe it's been seven years since PT and we're still chasing that dream. This next story is real quick. Dying Light has hit 5 million copies. Congratulations to the developers. Uh, Dying Light 2 hit 20 million copies. Another real quick hit, a demo for A Plague's Tale Requiem will be debuting this June at the Tribeca Film Festival. The demo will be on PC. Also available at the festival will be Oxenfree 2 Lost Signals. I really want to play Oxenfree. Uh, people keep saying I need to, that it is a game that is made for me and I have yet to get around to do it. If you like choose your own adventure games, this next one's for you. Mothman 1966 has 80s styling and follows a group of folks, including a paranormal investigator, as they explore a conspiracy at the edge of what they know as reality. It's coming to Xbox One. PlayStation 4, Switch, and PC via Steam on July 14th. It looks super cool. It kind of looks like that Japanese horror game, World of Horror. That's what it is. Yeah, it definitely looks like World of Horror. It's very cool. That game is terrifying. That's going to lead us into talking about another game that I am very excited about. We found out what the pre-order bonuses for The Quarry are. So if you pre-order, you will get three visual filters for the game that will make it either indie, 80s movie, or black and white. And while those sound fine, what really got me was the deluxe version, which me, like, very rarely do deluxe versions tempt me with whatever they have to get me to buy the deluxe, but this one actually may do it, you tricky, tricky 2K executives. So in the deluxe version, we found that backwards compatibility for digital school use on console. That's kind of bullshit. It should just be backwards compatible. So not, not impressed with that. That's not something that would get me to buy it. But 80s inspired costumes for playable characters. That's also costumes or costumes, whatever. 
I assume that the costumes you put them in look good enough for the story you want to tell. So alternative costumes are fun. Again, it's not something that will make me want to buy it. The next two are what do it. So Death Rewind is a gameplay mechanic that will let you rewind death unlocks from the first run. That's exciting to me. That's something that I would find useful. But the one that really gets me is this new one called Movie Mode that is going to make the game even more gory. Yes, I will give you $20 more for my game, my horror game to be gory. There's a new horror game out for the Sega Genesis, which is just the weirdest thing I think I've said about video game news in a while. Sacred Line 2 is a sequel and a prequel to Sacred Line Genesis. It plans to be released later this year. The synopsis, according to Mike Wilson at Bloody Disgusting, is as follows. The story follows Sarah in an alternate reality of 1999, where Yugoslavia still exists. Sarah is kidnapped by religious cult Sivan Najer, the Holy Intention. After being attacked by one of the cult members, Sarah dies, but is brought back into the world of the living, aided by a mysterious force. Not only must Sarah survive in a crumbling Yugoslavia, she must also prevent demons from taking over the world. So pre-orders for the game are up now. You can buy the base game, which is $24.99, and that gets you the digital version of this game. It's a pretty sick deal. If you're feeling baller and want to be enshrined in this weird little bit of horror history, this the second Genesis is like 30 years old. We're putting out a game for a 30-year-old platform. It's wild. Uh, there's a 500, 499, I'm sorry, Survivor DLC version that will get you a starring role in the game's upcoming DLC. Pretty sweet if you want to be enshrined in horror history. Uh, we got a little bit of sad follow-up news for our last story. It's not sad. It's just how video games work. But DreadX was supposed to come out today, May 3rd. It is being pushed until May 20th. Uh, XP let us know this morning. So you're going to have to wait just a couple more weeks to get your hand on that game. But it looks like it's going to shape up to be pretty good. We've got very little uh, TV news this week. So let's get right into it. Cruel Summer has been picked up for a second season. And it will feature a new mystery. It'll have a new setting. So instead of being in the 90s, it'll be in the Y2K era. And Ellie Tridman is the new showrunner. It's got a lot of new things going for it. We also found out that Love, Death, and Robots Volume 3 will premiere this month on the 20th on Netflix. That's exciting. That show has had a pretty solid first and second volume. So I'm excited to see the third one. Chucky 2 is now in production. Brad Dorf will be turning. I don't know why anyone thought Brad Dorf wasn't returning, but he's there. He's lending his vocal stylings to the Chucky we know and love. We had a little bit of news about the Dune prequel series this week that's headed to HBO Max. It's called Dune, the Sisterhood, and it takes ten, place 10,000 years before the events of the movie. It will follow the Harkonnen sisters as they fight for the future of humanity and establish the very mysterious Bene Gesserit. I'm excited. I want to see the beginning of the Bene Gesserit. It's actually one of those prequels that I'm interested in. The last news of the week is that Peacock has ordered a second season of the Isla Fisher and Josh Gad show, Wolf Like Me. So that's it for TV news this week. Movie news, we've got a little bit more going on. We've got like bummer news we've got to go through first in movie news. Karen Kusama's Dracula has been canceled. Can we just give this woman a movie? Why is everything seem to be so hard for her to make in Hollywood. I'm just over it. And I feel like 
Twitter, film Twitter, horror Twitter also over it. Because when this was announced, everyone in my feed seemed super disappointed. Uh, apparently Miramax pulled out and Blumhouse couldn't do it on their own. So the film that was going to be titled Mina Harkin is no more. But we do know a little bit about what was going on with it since production was set to start at the end of this month or next month. I think it's this month because this was a story from April. So if I say next month, that means May, which it is now. <laughs> uh, the movie was set in contemporary Los Angeles, centering on protagonist Mina Harker, who plays opposite Dracula in the movie with the classic Bram Stoker protagonist going by the name of Vladimir in the film. It just sounded cool, like... I would love to see what she had to do. We talked about it when it was announced. She just, I feel like she's just always getting the short end of the stick. In our next story, Nightmare Alley comes to Hulu with a black and white version. The film Nightmare Alley, A Vision in Darkness and Light was shot in color, but they filmed it and lit it as if it were black and white, according to director Del Toro. Quote, you can see the exact same level of design we wanted to give the viewer this special vantage as it takes as a take of the classic noir genre that the film is part of we got a release date for the anya taylor joy ralph fines and nicholas holt film the menu the film centers around a culinary culture centers around culinary culture and a couple who finds themselves at an exclusive restaurant on a remote island you can see everybody's favorite witch and x-men in november on the 18th Dashcam got a trailer and has a release date rob savage is directing uh the show was written by host writer jed shepherd and Gemma hurley and it's hitting VOD and theaters next month on June 3rd. We've got a short synopsis of the film follow via Collider that says Dashcam follows an abrasive musician's night when via her live stream as it takes a dangerous turn when she agrees to help transport a frail and elderly woman out of town. And I think the use of live streaming and technology is another thing that just shows off why Jed Shepard should be in charge of Blair Witch Project. The Tribeca Film Festival announces its midnight selections. Attachment is a Danish picture making its international premiere. The Black Phone will be premiering and that'll be its New York premiere. Family Dinner, an Austria film, will be making its world premiere. Husira, a Mexican film, will be making its world premiere. And A Wounded Fawn from the US will also be making its world premiere. The Tribeca Film Festival Midnight Selections also have really cool old film screenings that they will show. Basket Case is one of the ones this year. You can check that out at the Tribeca Film Festival website. M. Night Shyamalan began filming his new thriller, Knock at the Cabin. It stars Dave Bautista, Rupert Grint, Nikki Amour Bird, Ben Aldridge, and Jonathan Groff. It's headed to theaters February 3rd, 2023. Robert Eggers throws more cold water on his Nosferatu adaptation. Please stop. Talking to the Blue Crew this week, the Northman director had this to say, quote, Nosferatu was something I saw pretty young that changed my life. And I'm starting to think that Mornar does not want me to make it. It feels like that. He continues. It just feels so hard. I don't know why. And I think Werner Herzog had it right because of the German history and the German cinema history to make it. And maybe the ghosts are telling me not to make it, to stop barking up that tree. I don't know. That doesn't mean it's true. I'm just I'm just wondering. Please make this movie. I mean, please make it. I feel like your sensibility of scale and 
detail is exactly what a story like Nosferatu needs. We had a teaser trailer for one of the weirdest movies I have seen a trailer for yet this year. After Blue, Dirty Paradise is a sci-fi horror from French filmmaker Bernand Manico. It's getting a limited theatrical release on June 3rd. And according to TIFF, the film is referred to as a erotic sci-fi acid Western. The official synopsis gives us clues into what is going on in this this film because the trailer absolutely does not. And the synopsis tells us, in a faraway future on a wild and untamed female-inhabited planet called After Blue, a lonely teenager named Roxy unknowingly releases a mystical, dangerous, sensual assassin from her prison. Roxy and her mother Zora are held accountable, banished from their community, and are forced to track down the murderer named Kate Bush. Haunted by the spirits of her murdered friends, Roxy starts a long journey pacing the supernatural territory of this filthy paradise. This trailer was wild. It was in it was just wild. I don't know how to describe it. It is a very strange looking French movie that I am very interested in seeing. So hopefully after the limited theatrical release, we will find out when it hits VOD. Torn Hearts got a trailer and a release date. The movie follows two friends who are rising stars on the brink of fame. They seek out a reclusive famous singer who puts the pair through mental and physical torment. The duo must go to dangerous lengths to prove that they are Nashville's next stars. This movie looks great. Uh, it's directed by Brea Grant, and it'll be out on digital on May 20th. Gross Out Horror Cyst finally has a trailer and a release date. The official, official synopsis lets us know that the movie is about a woman, Nurse Patricia, who works under an enthusiastic plastic surgeon who believes he invented a breakthrough cyst removal machine and against Patricia's sound advice will stop at nothing to patent it so he can use it for his patients. But when their differences turn into a physical altercation damaging the machine, what starts as Patricia's last day on duty becomes a battle for survival after the doctor's get-gone cyst removal invention inadvertently turns a patient's tumor into a cyst monster that terrorizes the office. It's popping onto VOD on June 21st, and this one looks real gross. This, the trailer's super gross. Just know going in, it's it's a very big nod to gross out horror. So very a lot of body horror, a lot of pus. It looks like it's going to be a good fun time. The Christina Ricci-led film Monstrous dropped a trailer. It's headed to theaters and on demand next Friday, the 13th. Christina Ricci plays a 50 Styles housewife who leaves an abusive relationship only to find the sanctuary she has found is haunted by another terrifying monster. It looks very atmospheric. I love every outfit Christina Ricci wears in the trailer. The costuming is great. The house setting looks great. I was whatever on the synopsis and the pictures that they had been putting out for the last couple weeks, but the trailer finally dropping and seeing it all like come together has me interested in it for sure. A survival horror thriller that takes place in one of the world's most terrifying locations, a active volcano, Breath is out today on VOD. There's a pretty good trailer. You should check it out. And in this week's What's Going On with Crimes of the Future, we got a first impression two weeks ago. We got our first trailer a couple weeks ago. Then we got confirmation that it's premiering at Cannes. But now we get to know when we 
the people who can't afford to go to the south of France for a film festival will get to see Crimes of the Future. It will release in L.A. and New York on June 3rd and will make a wide release on June 10th. Next month, I get to watch a Cronenberg movie next month. I'm so excited. I can't. I just can't. I just can't wait. It's going to be great. I can't wait to see it. We're like a little over a month away from having the Cronenberg body horror injected into our eyeballs. Everybody get excited. We got some confirmation about Salem's Lot. It is headed to theaters only in September on the 9th, to be specific. Written and directed by Gary Doberman. You know him from The Nun, Annabelle Comes Home, and it's being produced by James Wan. I think it's going to be great. I love Salem's Lot. I love the movie. It holds a special place in my heart. So I'm excited. I like Doberman's work. The Nun isn't breaking, groundbreaking horror, but it's good, fun, comfy, cozy. I just want to sit on the couch and maybe work on other things, but like still have a horror movie in the background on. Like it's atmospheric enough that it makes you spooky. Like, I think all of those things work into the advantage of what a Salem's Lot remake could look like. The Northman made about $25 million at the box office. And while that sounds like a lot of money for a Robert Eggers movie to make in its opening weekend at the box office, the movie had a budget of 70 to 90 million. So it's kind of looking like it's going to not make its money back in the theaters, which is sad because Robert Eggers deserves all the money. Tic Tac star Charlie D'Amelio is going to star in a horror movie written and directed by F. Javier Gutez. Deadline reports the synopsis as D'Amelio will play Mira, a 17-year-old who moves to a different town to live with her aunt after her mother passes away. Arriving in what seems like the all-too-perfect town, Mira discovers that her mother's death and her own future are intertwined supernaturally. I don't know. Rings was fine, so I'll see it. I have I have no qualms that Charlie D'Amelio wants to be an actress. She can be in horror. She can step up through horror like everyone else. We also got confirmation from CinemaCon this week that The Nun 2 is happening. The sequel to The Nun hasn't really been spoken of since 2019, but like to be fair, there was a whole two-year period where movies weren't really happening, so that might not be that might be part of it. Last time we heard anything about it, uh, Ikea Cooper, who wrote Malignant, was writing this movie. And yes, give me that malignant energy on a nun movie, please. And Bonnie Aarons confirmed this week on Twitter she's back. Feels like a perfect storm for the sequel to be better than the first one. Next up, we're going to talk about The Unraveling. Gareth Turney is writing and directing. According to Deadline, the film is about... A man, Michael, as he experiences increasing hostility from the world around him, including from his own once-loving family, colleagues, and friends. Soon, inexplicably and terrifyingly, everyone in the world is trying to kill him. That is one of the most compelling lockdown kind of like movies I've heard of that have like spawned off of like a disease or something that is like crashing over the planet how terrifying would it be to think everyone in the world not to think to know that everyone in the world is trying to kill you jamie fox's netflix vampire film is going to release this summer titled day shift sees jamie fox as a pool cleaner with a deadly gig at night vampire hunting you can find out more 
at Netflix, and you can watch the film starting on August 12th. Allegoria found a home on Shudder, written and directed by Spider One. RLJ Films picked up the North American rights. It involves a group of artists who become entangled as their obsessions and insecurities manifest monsters, demons, and death. You can check that out on August 2nd. August is starting to shape up to be a banger month for horror movies. We're getting a whole summer full of horror movies, guys. It's super exciting because we've got one coming out in June for this next story. Gloria Kuna's Watcher is headed to theaters on June 3rd and on VOD on June 21st. The trailer is out now and I'm going to tell you it looks like a banger of a cycle. The tension in her VHS 94 segment, she did Storm Range, Hail Ratma, was perfect. The trailer just looks so tense. CinemaCon also brought us the Halloween Ends trailer, not us, the CinemaCon viewers got to see the trailer. Jamie Lee Curtis assured the crowd that trust her, it's going to fuck you up. And the social media response to the trailer has been mostly positive. Some people are like hyping it up, I think a little bit too much, but we have to be getting it for us soon, right? It has to be headed to our eyeballs. I would bet, so it was, CinemaCon was last week. I wouldn't be shocked if we got it this week or next week. Maybe next week for Friday the 13th. Get the really spooky day in May. I think we're going to probably get a bunch of trailers next Friday. CinemaCon also gave us our first look at Violent Night, starring David Harbour and John Leguizamo as the antagonist. According to the PR release, a team of elite mercenaries break into a wealthy family compound on Christmas Eve, taking everyone inside hostage. But the team isn't prepared for a surprise combatant. Santa Claus is on the ground, and he's about to show why this Nick ain't no saint. David Harbour is Santa Claus who's going to like kick ass and kill people. I'm into it. It sounds hilarious. I love horror movies that are Christmas themed. This next story is a little interesting. It's very rare that we see this happen, but John Woo is directing the remake of his 1989 thriller, The Killer. It'll be headed to Peacock in 2023. If you don't know the story, it follows an assassin who hopes to score one last hit to help fund the restoration of sight to a singer he accidentally blinded. The Killer is great. If you haven't seen it, you should see it. I think it'll be interesting to see what John Woo is going to do with it now. We don't really see that very often and... I am very interested that he wanted to do it and that he's getting. And in one of the weirdest horror stories of the week, Stephen C. Miller's new movie, Silent Night, is being pitched as The Purge, but with werewolves. And I was like, is it like The Purge with werewolves was the like headline everywhere. And so I just kept thinking, does that mean like The Purge, where we release werewolves onto the public and they have to fight them off. Or, even better, because this is what it is, a supermoon causes everyone exposed to the moon life to become werewolves. And now we have to deal with the fallout of that. Millions have died the first night of that, and then the next, the movie takes place that the next supermoon is here. You got it. That's super interesting. You've got to believe that people are going to be like, I want to be a werewolf. Like... I don't like I'm going to go get in the super moonlight so I can be a werewolf and the government doesn't want like I just can't wait. The concept is just fills me with so much joy. So we don't have any home release news this week. So we're just going to move straight on into the extras. 
We have just three stories this week in extras, starting off strong with the Salem Horror Fest returning in 2023, April 20th through the 30th to be exact. Now you may be asking, hey, doesn't the Salem Horror Fest usually happen in October? And that is true, but they're moving into April. Let's do that halfway to Halloween month. I love it. Uh, They also opened up calls for submissions for the next film festival. If you are a budding horror filmmaker, you have until June 21st to submit your film. Fangoria also announced the Chainsaw Awards are headed our way this month, May 15th to be exact on Shudder. You can catch me live tweeting it as it happens at 7 p.m. Eastern on Shudder. And finally, Castle Rock Kitchen was announced. It's recipes inspired by Stephen King, and it will be out on October 4th. And that leads us into this week's featured film, Choose or Die. You probably remember me talking about this film on on the show, but for the longest time, up until like a month or two ago, it was known as Cursor, which is the name of the video game in the movie. And I think a better title, but <laughs> when you type Cursor into Google, it pops up some cybersecurity like company as like the things. So it's probably for searchability and those reasons that it became choose or die. It was released on April 15th and written by Simon Allen, directed by Tony Minkins in his directorial debut. It stars Aza Butterfield and Lola Evans. And there's plans for a sequel, which we will get into. But first, we're going to talk about the film itself. People have been bagging this film on Reddit and Twitter, and I don't understand the hate behind it. It's not super gory. It's not super challenging, but it is a very good, cozy horror film. It's like The Nun, like I was talking about a bit ago. It's like a really good film if you want to like watch a horror movie on like an afternoon and just chill and be scared and be creeped out by a story, but you're not like, I want to have like, I want to watch somebody's guts. I mean, I guess you do get a watch like someone barf up film, but like, you know what I'm saying? It's not like gore heavy. I do think that the film's strongest attribute is the world building of the society where like people are so broke that they can't get out of this area and what that does, like the amount of risk people are willing to assume because of that. I think that really makes this film work. There are some aspects of the world building that I don't think work. I think the boyfriend or the drug pusher, I... I understand why he's there because he is is they have him there to lead up to one of the better kills in the game and to make you see the lead person's turn, which we'll get to. But I just found the characterization of him kind of insufferable. So let's get into it. We'll start at the beginning. First scene of this movie. First off, the movie's very dark. Watch it in a dark room. A man finds this video game. You can tell that his family is kind of falling apart. His mom is yelling at their kid who's gotten into trouble and the dad is just checked out and the kid is just bagging on the dad. And so the dad installs this video game called Cursor and it interacts with reality around him. So like 
at one point he's like drinking something and it's like he puts the stein down on the table or the chalice down on the table with that and asks him like if he wants a refill and he types yes and another bottle of what he's drinking just drops down out of nowhere it's interesting and it really does a great job in a short amount of time setting the stakes for the movie because it starts out as like little amusing things like, oh, I got another bottle. And then it becomes him having to torture his family and cut them up and slice them up and have them do terrible things to each other. But he's the one that has to choose who has the terrible thing done to each other. Movie hard cuts. There's a title card. There's some credits. We then start to pick up with our main protagonist, Kayla. She's a college dropout who has been trying to apply to get a job as a programmer, but keeps getting rejected while she's doing this. She's a cleaner at a technology company, I think it's assumed. And she cleans an empty building every night, which is kind of weird, but she's like, whatever. It gets her the money she needs to survive. So she has a friend named Isaac who she will find old pieces of technology and sell to him. And then he sells it, I guess. I think his apartment is a storefront too. It's never super clear. But uh, we then meet her mother who is just devastated over the death of Kayla's younger brother, Ricky. She just never com comes over it. And she has started to dabble in drugs that the rent collector, who I said was kind of a useless non-character character. He's the one I really have a problem with in this story. He uh, gives her drugs and taunts Kayla, forces her into prostitution so she doesn't have to be evicted from the apartment. So Kayla's working and she goes to hang out with Isaac and she finds a cursor uh, game in the apartment. And she's like, listen, it says there's a $125,000 prize. Like, do you think it may be still available and Isaac goes on to tell her about how like there's all kinds of old prizes from the classic area of video games that never made the cut like never no one ever figured out the game no one ever collected the prize so maybe and so she's like okay let's go to the cafe at 1 a.m I'll meet you there at 1 30 let's go to this like cafe and we'll play the game and he flakes out for whatever reason oh wait hold on before we go on to her playing the game in the cafe there is a recorded message from the quote unquote terror director who is Robert London. And it's a cool little Easter egg. It's cool. He has a pretty funny lines that he says when he's doing the call. But the lead up to this film was there was a big push on the fact that Robert London was in it. So I did spend a lot of time in this film being like, when's Robert London going to show up? Was him talking on the phone the only time he's going to show up? Like, when is he going to show up? <laughs> so I really think that might have also hurt people's expectation of this film. Because if you knew any of the press around it, it was, hey, there's this movie that Robert London's going to be in. Freddie's going to be in this movie. You're like, okay, cool. Sign me up. That is a, a nitpick I have with the marketing of this movie. I think that Netflix could have done a push on it without that. And they hurt their film in that in that way with setting that expectation that the film couldn't could not live up to. So Kayla 
let's get back into the story. Kayla goes to a diner in argue in what is the most horrific scene in this, where she starts playing the game and the waitress starts throwing glasses on the ground and she is she has to choose with clean it up or keep throwing glass. And Kayla picks clean it up. To clean it up, the waitress bends down and starts eating broken glass to the point that she dies. She runs to Isaac. She destroys the tape that the game was on. She runs to Isaac. She tells him what happened. But he's like, what? Like, no. So she's working. This scene also good. All of the scenes with the game are pretty tense. She goes to work. She doesn't think anything of it. She's like, that was weird. I destroyed it. Hopefully that's the end of it. Of course it's not the end of it because a game that can interact with reality has to be supernatural. So she's working her graveyard shift and her mom calls her and is just desperate. And Kayla discovers that Cursor has managed to find where she is and is forcing her to choose ways to save her mother from rats. So there's a pretty funny line about meat. Uh, there is no meat in the living room. So she has to direct her mother through the maze that is her own apartment to keep her safe from rats. And it ends with her mother jumping out of a window and severely injuring herself and ending up in the hospital. So she goes to the apartment and it's just like trashed, right? Like, and it has like the choices she could make carved into the wall. She goes to Isaac's apartment and is like, listen, listen to what happened to me. Please listen. Like it happens every night at this night. Like, is there any way we can figure out like what the game is doing to interact with reality now i've heard my mother it's like putting my mother in danger and it's putting other people in danger and like she just wants to be over it right they figure out somehow it's super unclear to me how they exactly figure it out but they look at the codes the source code in the sound of the cursor boot up and it's like in an unknown language like they don't know what it is and like when it came on the screen i'm like that's some kendarian bullshit and you do not want anything to do with it like i don't like that's not great like that's definitely demon it's demon code is what that is. And it turns out I'm correct. It is demon code. So Cursor makes her go through a series of events of how her brother died. So it puts her f to choose between Isaac, who is on the floor of a pool, looking like he's drowning, and her brother. So she correctly chooses to kill and fight the avatar of her brother because her brother is dead and Isaac is not dead and she and Isaac make it back out in the recording session they discovered that the creator of the game found curse symbols and embedded them into the code so he's just like I'm gonna make gamers suffer how can I make gamers suffer and it benefit me and this demon code I found and Man has figured out a way. So then they show a really interesting thing when they go to the prize house where the prize, like they go to the location where the prize phone is located. And in there we get a pretty good like little backstory. And I hope if they do do a sequel that we get to see a little bit more of the developer. He is the, he's the one I'm interested in. Kayla's cool, but he's the one I'm interested in. He's, he's very interesting. 
We see him set up a beta test where this guy is a total dick to him while he's trying to set up like the boundaries of the beta test. And so the guy starts playing his game and like then he starts like as the guy in the beta test starts to like eat himself because it was like do you want to eat the computer or eat your arm and he chooses your arm and like as that happens like the developer can like cut himself and his wounds will heal so like the person who is the the benefit the one who is the beneficiary of the curse the cursor gets a gets benefit from inflicting this curse on people and that's going to be important to the end of this film. Kaylee and Isaac again. Um, the game figures out that Kaylee and Isaac have cheated. And it. Um, it forces Kaylee through a series of events that end up in Isaac's death. It's kind of confusing there. He, I don't exactly know why he died from how he died. But Isaac is dead nonetheless. So after that Kaylee is given a set of coordinates and she must beat the boss. And in a turn that I actually didn't see coming until she got to the house, it's the family from the very first snippet. And the boss fight is that they must hurt themselves to inflict harm on the other person. So this is like super, super weird because like, the, the mother and the son both hate the dad and are just ready to do it. So like the dad, I mean, not the dad, the son doesn't really understand that he needs to inflict pain on Kaylee. Kayla, he starts inflicting pain on his dad and then that inflicts pain on Kayla. And eventually it ends up that Kayla drowns. Kayla gets pushed into the pool and Hal drowns. And then because the cursor will revitalize the person who is, who is the beneficiary, who is the cursor, like the cursor will benefit from the pain of the others. It heals her. So then we, this part of the movie moves a little bit too fast too. I think if you don't think about it too much, this is a great film. If I, like I said, it's a great film to just put on on a Saturday afternoon when you're in like cleaning the house or doing some other stuff or just want a really like light fun time. Like don't go into it with anything serious. And because like, I feel like the end rushes a little bit because it literally goes from she beat the boss to using her powers to inflict pain on the guy who is, her mom's pusher, that guy. It goes, and she like kills him in glorious fashion, by the way, like one of the best kills in the movie, but it just goes so quick from being afraid of it and not wanting to be participate in it to talking to the original developer who calls her and vowing to make people who deserve it suffer. It's like, okay, it just needed like... I'm never one that's like, this movie needs more time. Usually, normally, I'm like, give me 90-minute movies. But this one just needed a little bit. There was just, like, not quite enough on the bones to make the ending satisfying. So, overall, though, I liked it. 
I think I gave it a two and a half on Letterboxd. It's just a perfectly average, fine movie. As long as you go in with the correct expectations, I think you can have fun. So that's going to do it this week. That was Choose or Die. It's out on Netflix right now if you want to take a watch. I'm Spencer. You can find me all over the internet at Miss MissNintendeek64. You can find the podcast all over the internet at a Halloween club this Friday, May 3rd, Friday Night Frights begins. I will be streaming on Twitch slash Miss Nintendo 64. We're going to be playing Ravenous Devils and probably some rounds of Dead by Daylight if we get bored with Ravenous Devils, but maybe that game will kick ass and we won't get bored and we'll just be doing that the whole time. So I don't know. Come hang out. It'll be a fun time. You can find a link to that in the show notes. Also, just wanted to remind you the Northwest Abortion Access Fund needs your help. So be sure to check out their website and it'll be linked in the show notes and on my Twitter. And that's really going to do it for this week. So I hope you know what time it is. Sleep or don't. Super, super.